Later in the podcast, possibly. Um, welcome to episode 74 of Ribbon of Memes. This is a podcast uh, where we discuss films previously described by other fanatical believers as masterpieces. I'm Nick, the easily led, um, kindly hearted soul of the podcast, and I am joined as ever by uh, the exasperated uh, leader of a ragtag group of idiots, um, Roger. Hello. <laughs> um, we are in the year 2010. Oh, and we're we're we... breaking one of our rules. Oh, because... yes, this is a film we've both seen. Yeah, we, we normally try to go what for one that at least one of us hasn't, but we looked at the list of films for this year and thought, we just have to do this film. So I think so. There's something... Um, well, yeah, I, I agree. Um, as will become clear... Uh, shortly, this is Chris Morris's um, 2010 film um, farcical comedy about um, jihadi suicide bombers for lions. So I think it's fair to say that insofar as Chris Morris has a, has a thing he does repeatedly, it's mm. take a subject that people don't regard as fit for humour and then make it humour. Yes, I don't know if this is a response to... So Chris Morris, uh, for those who don't know, is a, a British comedian who, I guess, came to fame... I knew of him before because I listened to On The Hour on Radio 4, but he really came to fame with The Day Today, which was a parody of news programmes, which Watch Today just looks like a news programme, <laughs> sadly enough. It's where Alan Partridge first arrived on our screens, I believe. Um and then he followed that up with Brass Eye on Channel 4, which was more of the same, but uh, more controversial, particularly the episode about paedophiles, which was basically... Uh, well, his comedy is more... Uh, I think you're right. It's really just that he will find comedy in anything, but not in a... It's more our reactions to the things, or it's not yeah. usually so laughing at... You, you get somebody who, who likes to think of themselves or has a public image as a nice guy. And then you, then he, it will lead them on to say, well, yes, obviously what we ought to be doing is, is torturing these people to death or whatever. Yes. Yeah. That, he that famously kind of enjoys having, uh, celebrities endorse, um, pr uh, campaigns against fake drugs, uh, particularly when they're, <laughs> they're known as made up drugs in the description. Anyway, he has a, uh, a, a wide room and yes, he, is a controversial comedian. Certainly I remember there was a lot of furore about him doing a paedophile episode, um, which when you watch the episode was fairly um, well, that... innocuous. It was it was really taking a look at how the media responds to paedophilia. Um, well, th this is one of my hobby horses. Um, the, the number of incidents of assaults that, that get every, anybody knows about at all are disproportionately people living in the same house or yes. relatives. And that is not at all the public image. And that, that alone is worth mocking because all this stuff about, you know, all the protections except yeah. family members, because obviously you can't ask a family member to be 
criminal records checked or anything else. And yet, that's the thing that might actually make a difference. Well, in a way, I suppose that's the point of his comedy. There, uh, well, I don't know because he's famously enigmatic and not uh, good at interviews. But it's, I guess, it's in some ways taking a different line to the standard media line and talking about this stuff and mocking it and realizing this stuff is okay to discuss and talk about. Similarly, uh, the war on drugs and, and and as here, the war on terror. Um, I, I think it would be. I mean. I think this, it was already happening at this point that, that, that there were criminal offences for glorifying terrorism, mm. or which, which basically meant anything other than the party line. Now, this is not the party line, but I also think that nobody is going to see this film and think, oh, I'm going to blow myself up, it's so glamorous. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a funny combination. So the story, uh, briefly, is we are introduced to our four uh, Islamic uh, jihadi um that's uh, Omar, Waz, Barry, and um, Faisal. Um, and we're never really given any sort of background as to why they they want to perform an act of terrorism. It's just a given. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, that that's something they're going to do. We'll come back to that. Yes, uh, I, I think it's interesting too, and, and obviously very deliberate. Um, uh, it starts with them. Uh, <laughs> making um see that is a, an area you wouldn't think was right for comedy but there's basically a comedy scene about them making their film to be displayed after their death which are familiar to us from terrorists who've actually done it but in this one it, it's it's played for laughs you know one has a replica ak-47 which is clearly too small um and he's joking about how he's got big hands hence my terrible big head joke at the beginning of the the podcast um it's I, I think it helps for me that it's it's genuinely funny. I I find the dialogue, uh, it's all. I suppose it's almost. It's not quite Whedon esque, but it's almost full of zingers all the time. Except it's not. They're not as smart as that, and and there's a lot of the, a lot of the dialogue is in the classic British idiot. Um, a la Baldrick and Manuel and all, all the famous comedy characters were complete idiots. Pike in Dad's Army. Um, we have a lot of that here. So it, in some ways it's very classic British comedy. Though, um, we, when we get to Barry, who, who is the, uh, well, basically the white convert to Islam who, yes. like a lot of converts, is, is much more zealous than anybody else. Um, <laughs> yes. actually reminded me a lot, I, I didn't know this last time I saw it, of uh, Walter Sobchak in The Big Lebowski. The, the guy who is oh, yeah. not, not, yeah, only, not only way more fanatical than anybody else, yeah. but will completely derail any argument and, and can bog you down in nitpicks forever. Ra- yeah, rather I... than ever possibly admit he might have been wrong in any respect. And as we've, I think as we talked about in The Big Lebowski, coming from a, a gaming background, and particularly war gamers, I've certainly met people of that ilk. Um, mm. I, you know, I think one of his lines of dialogue is, you can't win an argument just by being right. Um, yeah. <laughs> which uh, pretty much sums him up for, um, uh, for him. Uh, that played by Nigel Lindsay, who I think was nominated for uh, a BAFTA or an Emmy or some kind of award um, for this. Um, I think it's hard to pick uh, one British of them comedy out. Awards, right? yeah. British Comedy Award, fair enough. Um, yeah, so we're introduced to these four characters. We have Omar, who is, um, in many ways, the kind of the protagonist and the the heart of the film. 
I, I think he's also the, the token normal person. He, he's the easiest of these people to sympathise with and think, well, that could be me. Yes, he's the one you can uh, relate to in as much as it's possible to. Um, yeah, we have uh, Waz, who is really the classic... Um, uh, so, uh, Omar, played by uh, Riz Ahmed, who is now a very respected... I don't know if this was his first film, Rome, but he's gone on to do... Not quite, but it was quite an early one. But he's, he's quite a well-respected... Um, Muslim actor. Uh, we have Kayman Novak, um, who uh, plays Waz, the <laughs> the I don't know the the most idiotic of the idiots, I guess. Um, Though he, he's smart enough to realise that he is pretty dim, and therefore should ask somebody, you know, ask a grown yes. up before doing anything. Unfortunately, some, <laughs> sometimes that grown up is Barry. So, <laughs> well, he's he's kind of the the child of the film in many ways. He's yeah. very easily yeah. led. Um, and uh, Kayman Novak, incredibly versatile actor. He was the first Jacker, I believe, so he did a lot of different voices. He's also um, in a show I'm watching currently, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, as um, right. a, a thousand-year-old, two-thousand-year-old vampire from an ancient, now long-defunct uh, empire in the vicinity of Iraq or Iran uh, or somewhere similar. We have um, we have Nigel, who we've talked about, Barry, and we have um, probably the least. Um, uh, the least featured of them, but again, one of the the real um, idiots, I guess, of the group. Um, Faisal, who is a, a deal actor, um, who we don't know so much about. He probably seems the most devout religiously of them. It certainly pays a lot of respect to his dad, but is also uh, the kind of person that feels he can... Um, go and buy a ton of um, uh, <laughs> explosives from the local chemist by holding his hand over his mouth and putting a squeaky voice on and so they won't recognise him. I mean, these are uh, not... He's also the guy who's trying to train crows to be suicide bombers by talking to them and apologising to them and so on. <laughs> he's very respectful. Um, I mean, I find myself smiling. I, it's not. It's not really high comedy, to be honest. I mean, this is a a farce um, in that these are just it's it's a comedy in the vein of in the uh, sorry the thick of it which is the British um, uh, political drama basically of idiots um, a political comedy and Veep which is I think the American uh, basically the same program um, but uh, in America uh, these are these are just people who don't have a clue what they're doing uh, yeah. Which of itself wouldn't wouldn't be enough to encourage me to watch it or enjoy it, but no. I think my reaction have, when I just watched this for the second time was it works as a comedy because it also works as a tragedy and maybe even vice versa. I think I mean tra- comedy and tragedy are pretty close to each other, aren't they? Um, and this is a yeah, a farce is just a a, a a tragedy played for laughs. But this this manages to do the rare thing, I think. Um, I don't know, we're going a bit broader, aren't we? But it does manage to do the, the rare thing, for me at least, of achieving both, um, in that I find it genuinely funny. But also, as with all tragedies, you see the end coming, you see where the characters are going, uh, they have opportunity to avoid it, they don't take it. Because of who they are. That's that's the vital thing for me. Yes. Uh, the, yes. The, the, I, I think I've said before, a, a lot of comedy loses me because... It ignores somebody's established character in order to get them into position to do the bit that's going to be yes. funny. And with this, it's much more the style of because they are who they are, they get into situations which are then funny. 
Yes. Well, it's interesting because I, I think you often describe yourself wrongly, Roger, as a man with no sense of humour. <laughs> it it saves time of, explaining. Okay. But one of the things you do say, um, I hope I'm not misquoting here, is you, you don't particularly like comedy, which is, ha-ha, look at the funny idiot man, because you can imagine yourself being the funny idiot man and, and not yeah. finding it funny. I, I just strike me that a lot of this comedy here is, ha-ha, look at these idiots. Um, and not in it, it's not really... That, that's, that's not the stronger part of it for me, but there's enough other okay. stuff that, yeah. Okay, all right. I I do I do enjoy a good <laughs> idiot comedy myself. Um, it's just I I agree with you though. If it wasn't this subject matter, I would enjoy it, but I it wouldn't have quite the same impact. Um. So I guess moving on with the plot, they uh, uh, Omar and Waz are selected to go to a training camp in uh, is it Iraq? I think it's Iraq. Um, or Afghanistan. Uh, with... Anyway. Uh, in uh, with Omar's um, uncle, uh, oh Pakistan, they, I think. Oh, in, in Pakistan, yeah, I think that's where they end up in the training camp. Anyway, uh, where they accidentally destroy the training camp with uh, because it turns out. Uh, here's a, a question for uh, Roger's military corps: How easy is it to fire a rocket launcher backwards? Um, quite hard. They do have big arrows on them. Mm. Uh, it, it does depend on the rocket launcher, obviously. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they they generally make it pretty obvious. There's a thing to look through. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a, though they were in a stressful situation. To be fair, I, I um, couldn't immediately identify what sort of launcher it was, but most of them look pretty similar. Okay, all right. Well, they uh, they that's the uh, the comedy moment there. Then they return um, um, and almost to save face. Um, Omar decides that he is going to, at this point now is the time for them to pick a target and to uh, martyr themselves uh, for the sake of Islam. Yeah, now this isn't stated in the film, but I do get the impression that this this is really just a development of, of their ongoing um, social dynamic. You know, they, they, their, yeah. their identity is as jihadis. They don't have to actually do anything to maintain that. Until, uh, you know, uh, Omar gets back and Nigel has been, has been throwing his weight around and is recruiting a new guy and so on. Yes. And in order to retain his, or regain his position of authority, Omar is now saying, right, we've been selected. We have, we are going to be doing this. Yes, I agree. It's part of a, as well as to save face, it's part of the power dynamic of the little group to sort of get one over on um, on Barry. That is absolutely true. I, I um, think, it... uh, Hassan, that the fifth member, uh, it's actually very important here because he he is introduced, he, he is essentially a performance artist. Yes. Um, he, he's, he's going to a conference and faking a suicide bombing to make the point that you look at a guy who has that sort of skin colour, that sort of facial features, you see a suicide bomber. Yes. And, you know, uh, uh, Riz Ahmed in particular has, has done a lot of stuff, particularly since he became uh, better known, yeah. about representation of Muslim characters, uh, a bit of diversity. There's a thing, it's not actually done by him, called the Riz Test. Yes. Uh, Sadia Habib and Shaf Shoudri. Um Basically, if you've got a Muslim character in film or TV, you know, are they talking about terrorism? Are they presented as irrationally angry and so on. It's, it's this five-point test of, actually, are you just doing a stereotype? So that, uh, it very much uh, sort of the uh, uh, Islam equivalent of um, uh, 
the Bechtel test, I guess, are, are these characters there just to further your plot because they're terrorists or not? Yeah. Um, I know this film doesn't pass that, but it, it's it has an interesting approach to terrorists in that it, it doesn't. Well, some of them are. I mean, uh, Omar's brother. Well, he's an who, interesting who, who is who is more traditional in in his way, more genuinely traditional. Yes. The, the, the sort of guy you might pick, Rand, if you just looked at these guys' backgrounds to say, well, obviously he's going to be one of them. But he quite clearly disproves of the jihadi and the... In many ways, he's uh, more wise, as you say, and more traditional. But he's also presented in the film kind of through Omar's eyes as this incredibly irritating character um, who's just going to... Um, uh, I think he says like shit a load of wisdom all over me. <laughs> that, that that sort of he's. I think he's a really because in some ways he could have been presented as a savior or an interesting character, but he's he's just as um, flawed as the rest of them in his own way, but in an interesting way. I, I quite liked I, I quite liked his character too, actually. Yeah, I don't I don't think anybody's shown here as having all the answers. I mean, everyone in the film. Uh, no one comes out well, really, to, to be honest, except perhaps Omar's wife, and that's a, that's an mm. interesting dynamic that we probably should talk on. That it is, it is a given throughout the film that Omar is going to sacrifice himself, and uh, she knows this, and she has agreed with it. She knows it, and she agrees with it. He talks with his uh, nine-year-old son about it, um, and it's uh, it's it's just a given. It's not judged, and it's not. Um, no one tries to talk him out of it, or at least within the family. The, the doubts come from himself, ultimately. Mm. Um, I, and I think that's a really interesting dynamic. I, I, I struggle to think of many other films that wouldn't at least have some scene of his wife trying to talk him out of it. But it, it's never it, it's never suggested. And um, I, I'm in two minds as to how real that film... I mean, she, she, I, I think, I suppose the suggestion is that they're so uh, such genuine believers that they actually believe that you know this is not a, a problem that he is going to go to heaven um, by martyring himself um, and so you know it doesn't occur to them that that would be a problem Now this, this is perhaps where it might have worked better to show how they got radicalised in the first place but I don't think it would it would fit with the tone of the film so Yes I, I suspect the radicalisation process would be less uh, fun I mean, it, it works, but I think that's where I have slight... I don't know about qualms, I just don't know how... A lot of the rest of the film sort of rings true, and the attitudes of the characters ring. It's all, which is very much Chris Morris's style, it's sort of taken to the extreme and then pushed a bit further, um, hmm. to push it over extreme into ridiculous. Um, uh, but, but there I... Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm genuinely ignorant of the, of the opinions of... Uh, families of people who are prepared to martyr themselves but that just felt perhaps slightly uh, less realistic but I don't know I mean it didn't spoil the film for me and it does lead to one of the I, I think one of the, the best scenes in the film at least emotionally um, where Omar towards the end of the film uh, they so I, I've skipped a bit here but uh, Faisal has accidentally martyred himself in order to destroy a sheep um, which leads to one of my 
favourite lines in the film, which, what is he, boys? Is he a martyr or a Jalfrazy? Um, yeah, I, I, I should say, I'm, I'm not an expert in Islamic theology, but my understanding is that the whole suicide bomber thing actually comes from a particular interpretation of the part of the Quran. Norm, yes. Normally it is, if you die in a battle with the infidel, you get all the rewards in heaven. And yes. there, there is one particular guy who essentially died of an accident the night before the battle and by special dispensation was was said to be given the reward anyway and that that is, that is the read on which the whole suicide bombing thing rests yes i mean here at least the read um is that if you're destroying any kind of part of the structure um of western society then you you count as a martyr um which by an extreme read involves um a single sheep by uh, damaging the agriculture or maybe um, he tripped or maybe he tripped <laughs> over um Anyway, because of the discovery um, of Faisal's body, or bits of it, again, which leads to another favourite part of mine, which is, I thought you buried the head. No way was that a head, it had a hinge. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, um, it's full of that kind of ridiculous dialogue, which uh, works for me. I mean, it's um, it's written, as well as Chris Morris, by Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, who wrote um, Peep Show... Um, and a lot of that Mitchell and Webb sound and a lot of other things too mm. but I, I'm a fan of theirs regardless so the, the comedy was always going to work for me um, but sorry I'm digressing the scene I'm talking <laughs> about is the one where Omar has to say goodbye to his wife and tell yeah because they, they they're leaving Sheffield they're going off to London and they're not planning to come back mm. so he so he goes to the hospital to say where she's working to say goodbye to her and there are two cops at the front desk talking to her. And so, yeah, this, this is just superb. Yeah. Both as a comedy piece and as a tragedy piece. He's, he's getting the message across to her, goodbye, I'm not, I'm never going to see you again, in such a way that they will have no clue. And, yes. Yeah. It's and amazing. He knows she can't react, uh, and she plays it very well, and he has to be sort of cheerful. It's just really well, Zami. That they talk about the, you know, the Hitchcock bomb under the table. You know, we know what they're really talking about. If that was a straight line of dialogue, you wouldn't think much of it at all. But because we know, um, it's just full of. Andy, he might he might get caught. Um, it's full of suspense and sadness and pathos. It's not a particularly kind of uh, funny scene, but it's just. Um, mm. It's just so sad, and it, it, it's one of those where the tragedy, I think, of it all really hits you. That um, it's so beautifully done, and he's such a smart guy, and he does it so well. You can't help but feel all oh, oh, waste. Why? Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's really good, and that, you know, there's not many films about um, terrorist bombers that could pull your heartstrings in that sort of way. Well, that's that's the thing for me. I mean, these are people. They are people who have made bad decisions. They are people yeah. who are going to cause a lot of suffering. And they are still people. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah, it's a tragedy and it's a comedy and um, and uh, it's some of the worst. I mean, really, Barry and Omar are the two sort of driven ones, and and all the rest are sort of you know, including poor Faisal who uh, uh, martyrs himself with a sheep, um, including Hassan, who's um, the as you say the performance artist, and certainly Waz. They're all kind of led along this path just trying to fit in and there's a lot of um 
peer pressure. That, really. that is the group. This is what the group's doing, so I go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's not sort of played up. It's not like they have serious doubts until quite understandably right at the end. Um, but it's, uh, I, I think that's really well done as well, and it, I, I think it does. It shows you the dynamics of this sort of group, which is frankly the dynamic of any sort of group of um, idiotic men, for, for want of the most part. You know, I, I think a lot of the time. Uh, the stakes are usually much lower, but it is generally easy to go along with the thing rather than make a fuss. Yeah. And then, you know, several cycles of this later, you think, holy crap, what am I going along with? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, until, yes. So they decide to, their target is going to be the London Marathon. Um, uh, which, so the Be- because they have access to mascot costumes. Because they have access to ridiculous mascot costumes. Um, uh, and there it all, uh, it goes wrong or right, depending on your point of view. This is where, whereas, um, the child-like character of the group expresses some doubts and tells Omar that he, he feels in his heart that it's wrong and he shouldn't do it. And Omar talks him round and basically confuses him into going along with it anyway. Yeah. Um, which leads to a sort of a moral crisis to Omar when it's pointed out to him by Barry basically exactly what he's done. Um, Hassan panics, um, uh, which triggers a, a sort of final panicked flight. Um, uh, we have a cameo. We have some uh, lovely cameos here. We well, have that, let's point out it, it's uh, Barry who who actually triggers that. Who who is set who has set off Hassan's bomb. Yes, uh, because, because Hassan is is panicking, saying, "Help! Help! I'm 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 a suicide bomber, but I don't want to do it." Except, of yes. course, he expresses it's a bit worse than that, and. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, So Barry detonates him remotely. Um, We have a lovely cameo by Kevin Eldon, who turns up in a lot of things. Here he is a sniper um, on top of a roof, and we see that the British authorities are no better organised or more intelligent than the suicide bombers in this state when we have uh, an argument between is a bear a Wookiee um, and (laughs) a man in a Chewbacca costume uh, gets shot. Um, I don't know, I just... I don't really have much to say about these scenes other than I just I find them uh, funny. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch before you would see his face in everything. Yes, yes, as the world's worst hostage negotiator. He's doing it by the book. <laughs> he is, yeah, and again, it's well that you, uh, it's well acted. You know, he's clearly trying it, but even Waz, who is an idiot, um, can see through the textbook uh, attempt of it. Um, we have the real tragedy of Waz. Um, Detonating himself with his final words being, I'm sorry, lads, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, sums up a lot of it. And then Omar uh, blows himself up in the one thing, one of the places he, pr- he swore he would not blow himself up in, which is a chemist, Boots the Chemist. Um, we never find out if there's anyone in there or not as to whether he martyrs anyone else. Um, but there we are, that's, that's the end of it. We find out then that. Um, Omar's brother has been arrested on suspicion of it, um, and that the uh, uh, the destruction of the training camp destroyed Osama bin Laden. This being before Osama bin Laden was actually uh, found and brought to justice. Um, shot, let's face it. Well, yeah, <laughs> shot. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting... As you say, we, we never see their radicalisation. I I, I feel like we've touched on most of the things I wanted to say. It is, it works because it's, 
a tragedy as well as a comedy. It worked for me on both fronts. That scene in the hospital, and the later scene uh, with Waz saying it's wrong, don't do it. Um, and and Omar, who may well be having doubts of his own, but what he ne- he knows what he needs to do, and that's brace the guy up so that he carries on with the mission. Yeah, I, I think those moments work as tragedy for me. Uh, much of it works as comedy for me. Um, and it's it's an interesting. I don't, does the film have an overarching message? Do you think? Uh, is it trying to say? Uh, well, yeah, that's my open question. Really, do you think it's trying to say something about terrorism, or is it just a comedy set in a place where it is taboo to have comedy? I think, as far as these people are concerned, at least, it's saying, well, these guys are just people who happen to be terrorists, rather than you know being stamped out of the terrorist mold. Yes. They have lives, they have personalities. Yeah, I I think that's where I would come into it too, really. It's humanising terrorists, it's doing it through the medium of comedy, and it in some ways may get away with that more than if it was a straight drama. Maybe the Mm. the fact that their comedy characters undercuts it, but it's an interesting approach. I... I, Yeah, I don't know if it's got much more to say than that either, really. It's just... um, I, I don't think um, one of the things I like about this is it's it's not yeah be, beyond the obvious this is bad it's it's not saying oh if you did it my way this it'll be so much better yeah uh, it's just saying well no the, this particular thing is a bit messed up you know that the police got away with shooting two innocent people because they just yeah. can they they are the they are the only people telling the story that kind of thing yeah they it's yeah not... they can whisk Omar's innocent brother off off to never be seen again. Uh, yes, to uh, sovereign Egypt territory on the middle of a, an airbase, and it's all again, it's all close enough to truth um, to resonate, uh, but just pushed so. Uh, to me, it's pushed just that much into ridiculousness that it's okay to laugh at it um, and realise that. I I think if it has a point at all, it's that a lot like a lot of Chris Morris's work that it, you know it's okay to talk about this stuff and have a more nuanced view about things and. Something shouldn't things shouldn't be taboo and condemned just because of what they are. Um, I mean, things should be condemned for many reasons, but not just the fact that they are. So somebody else has put it in the box labelled bad. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's it. You, you should you should come to your own conclusions to some extent, or at least. It, it goes back to a bit like my. I'm not expressing this well at all, but the the punch a Nazi. That was in uh, Twitter. That is, is basically the idea. We might have talked about this in Glorious Bastards. This idea that um, uh, you know you can punch a Nazi and that's uh, that's fine. That's kind of a victimless crime because all Nazis are evil. But what it does is push those people out of the argument and give them no chance of ever coming back into hmm. larger society because you're never going to talk to them again. It, it speaks to a it was perhaps an early cry at the lack of nuance in conversations about this stuff, which now has progressed much worse, thanks to, yeah. uh, well, I don't know, many reasons, uh, social media being one of them, the media being another one, um, politics being another. Um, but Yeah, it, I mean, I, yeah. I think well, well before people were panicking about Twitter and such like, there's just the idea that if you're getting your news from the TV, everything's got to fit in 15 seconds. There isn't a lot of yeah. room for nuance. Yeah. So, and, good and guys, is, bad guys. Exactly. Yeah, and it's that's not how the world is. 
Um, it depends. I think Obi Wan said it best that you're going to find many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Yeah. I, I did find myself comparing it a bit with traffic, which is similarly saying the establishment does not have the answers. Yes. But for me, at least, the, the director's message there was a lot more heavy handed and therefore annoying. Whereas here, it's, yeah. it, it's a message that I similarly agree with. The establishment is, is essentially doing this all wrong. Yes. But that's not the whole message and it's not the only thing that's being said. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We don't like our polemics, even when we agree with them. Sometimes, especially when we agree with them. Um, and I suppose by showing these people as... Ca- I mean, they're not three-dimensional characters. They're largely one- or two-dimensional characters. But they, they crucially, they are characters. Um, and as we've discussed in a lot of other films, there isn't a lot of room in film for three-dimensional characters. And often, iconic one- or two-dimensional characters are, are good enough, as long as they've got, well, probably two-dimensional... Um, I I think film is better at that sort of character mm. um, and I think to some extent humanising them even if it's via comedy uh, makes you a bit less afraid of uh, of what you're supposed to be afraid of and we're constantly told by the media that you understand these are people and you can sort of see how they've ended up where they are and you can imagine yourself being there too in some situations Um, for that matter I mean we we do board gaming role playing and so on and you go to a convention and it's not as bad as it used to be but seeing a non-white face is is pretty darn rare Yes, and I think that's a great shame yeah Uh, but it's yeah. what do I do to change that without being (laughs) patronising yeah yeah, exactly. Well, these are all complex, nuanced questions that can't be answered, as you say, in 15 seconds on the news. But the thing is, if, to, to go on from that, if, if all the people you meet are white people, if you, if you're no, if you never get into conversation with a British Muslim, yeah, you're gonna, all you've got is what the, what the media says about them, and yeah, that's not great. And then they become the other, um, yeah. and that's, you know, as we talked about in District 9 a bit, yes. So maybe we're making the message of this movie grand, but I, I'm not sure. I, I think it's there if you want to look for it. That you know, uh, that understanding and talking about these things are better than just blindly um, condemning them. I think for the most part, and there's uh, there's moments. Well, yeah, I, if it has a message, that's it. Um, for me. Uh, I mean, I feel like we're just singing the praises to some extent. Did you have any problems with Four Lions? Um, there were some things that didn't completely work. Um, there's there's that short section with uh, Alice, their neighbour, Julia Davis, who's mm-hmm. you know clearly a bit a bit of a hippie who never quite came down again. But I don't think it really works. It's just a, a bit of bit too much of a tonal shift. Yes, I think you're right, and and the whole bit of him, him, her going to kill Hassan having to go and kill her afterwards. Um, because they, yeah, I, I agree. That probably is one of the weaker points. It's not much, but yes, it's it is a weaker point. Um, I, mean, I I would be interested in in a film about how they got that way in the first place, but it would be a different film. So it would be a different. I did feel perhaps the cinematography 
is not at the level of some of the other films. It, it's a very twitchy camera. Yeah, I was going to yeah. get into that. I mean, some of the establishing shots are just like, here is... I mean, it's interesting because when you... It's Meadow Hall in Sheffield, but like, here is Meadow Hall in Sheffield, which looks vaguely kind of uh, Middle Eastern um, from a distance. But a lot of the establishing shots are, here it is, now we're going to zoom in very closely to it. And it felt a little bit amateurish, and I didn't know if that was deliberate or not, but it, it took me out of it a bit and made me think... Oh, I'm watching a film where someone's not so good at doing establishing shots, at least. I I haven't seen a lot of uh, Brass Eye and Chris Morris's other stuff, the, but the impression I've got from what I have seen is it tends to be fairly studio bound. It doesn't yes. doesn't do those big shots very much. No, so, I, I I agree. I I think so. Um, so why? Yeah, maybe not the level of skill, but again, that doesn't matter to me too much because I was drawn in quite quickly anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, interestingly, uh, possibly one of the earlier occurrences of a sensitivity reader, um, Chris Morris sent the script to Moazam Beg, a uh, British Pakistani who was detained in Guantanamo. Okay. Basically to say, do you think there's anything in here, A, that's offensive to, going to be offensive to British Muslims, and B, is it just, oh, I think Riz Ahmed ended up asking him, is there just anything here that's going to hurt too much? Based yeah. on your own experience. Is it too raw? Yes. And, he he was essentially happy with it. So, well, uh, the impression I got reading around on the subject is there was, of course, some furry in the British press. Not as much as you might have expected, actually. That the reviews that I saw were largely positive, with a few mm. negative ones, and they were more just that it didn't work as a comedy, rather than this is awful. How has anyone done this? It certainly didn't get kind of Life of Brian levels of condemnation. But the, I don't think the Islam. Uh, sorry, the Islamic community was particularly upset by it. And I haven't come across any particular reactions, at least. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that, you know, your gut reaction is, ugh. Um, I, it almost feels like we're in, uh, because we've sort of entered Cold War Two now, or whatever in, we're in, um, maybe we're moving away from that era of Islamophobia, I hope so. Um, yeah, doubt but it. But then look at the World War going. Uh, sorry, the World War, the World Cup going on at Qatar, and and that's bringing up. Anyway, they are complex issues and nuanced issues, um, which I am. Ah, but Qatar's completely about. different because because they're Muslims with money. <laughs> exactly. Um, as I say, there's nuance, or at least there's money involved. Um, yeah, uh, I, I would say a, a minor warning note. Um, not a problem for me, and, and I would suspect not a problem for you. But there is there are some very broad Sheffield accents and some very broad Sheffield Pakistani accents. Yes, well, that's it's interesting. Uh, you know, what, I think one of the things uh, Chris Morris wanted to get across, I think, when he was talking about, it, was suddenly you have um, instead of seeing um, uh, jihadi freedom fighters. Um, uh, in the Middle East, uh, shouting um, uh, in um, Farsi or you know lots of other foreign languages, you suddenly have um, uh, after the seven seven bombings, you had you know broad Yorkshire accents um, with these freedom fighters, which struck him as interesting and unusual, which I think was one of the um, ideas uh, that stimulated him to the plot uh, between that and Martin Amis. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes. Uh, there are some broad Europe tracks, which I very much enjoyed. Um, yeah, but, but if you're not used to them, it may take a bit of work to understand what's going on. The, the non-English does get subtitled. Oh, that's true, but the English doesn't. Much like I had slight trouble watching The Wire, um, you might you might need some subtitles <laughs> yeah. uh, to watch it. Uh, 
Well, there we are, four lions. So... Um, I would. He has done another. Actually, speaking of Chris Morris's later work, which I'm just about to, he has done another film adjacent to this uh, called uh, "The Day Shall Come," which um, I haven't got round to watching yet. I watched the opening, and it didn't grab me in quite the same way. Um, but it's it's about the FBI kind of trumping up and almost creating an Islamic terrorist, um, so they got uh, an excuse for their counter-terrorist money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't watched it, but if you enjoy this, you might want to watch that. Um, yeah, I think, for me at least, if if it were just... If you, if you gave me this plot, I wouldn't be enthused. It, it is really because of the acting that, that I got engaged and stayed engaged. Riz Ahmed, in particular, has just one yeah. of those faces that I love. So... He, yeah, he's he's very handsome and charismatic, um, and yeah, he's sort of an everyman. Um, I feel yeah, he's, he's very easy to empathise with. Um, similarly, we haven't. Uh, is it Priya Kalidas, his wife Sophia? Is it? Is very good in this too. Um, mm. They're all very good in it. Uh, the the two that got awards, I believe, apart from Nigel Lindsay, uh, Kyan, uh Kaivan Novak. Um, also got a British Comedy Award. It's hard to pick, which is unusual to me, and I don't know why all of them didn't get a Comedy Awards, but maybe... Don't know. But there we are. Yeah. They all deserved it, but they're both very good too. Um, is it a masterpiece in your opinion, Roger? I think so, yeah. I mean, as I think I've said before, there is no film that is perfect, but yeah, this, this is very much... Uh, if I still had a physical film shelf, it would be on it. Well, I still have a physical film shelf, and it is on it. Um, <laughs> and, um, it and it is, I'm just looking over there, it's sandwiched between Casablanca and Primer, which uh, for me <laughs> is very, very much an indication that it is a masterpiece. Um, yeah, I think so. A brave look at a difficult subject, which manages to do it without causing too much offence, as far as I can tell. It's genuinely funny, and um, I, I think has an important role to play in countering the kind of sound bites we get from the media all the time so I think not heavy handed but funny humane and uh, gripping yeah a masterpiece for me for sure yeah so uh, on, on my virtual shelf it's between Forrest Gump and Foxy Brown so yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I organise mine uh, by films that I want other people to know that I have and that that is on the show <laughs> I, I want other people to know that I have um, I will get rid of my DVDs at some point but um, but not yet maybe when I move it I'll build you a storage server <laughs> thank you uh, well DVDs are still useful for, as proof of purchase it is not for anything else anymore. Anyway, uh, shall we talk about 2010 in film? Yes, let's uh, let's do it. So this is the the post Avatar year. So this this is everything's got to be in 3D. Shortly uh, followed by, but 3D is expensive. Look how much <laughs> Avatar cost. Shortly followed by, but we can underpay a, a bunch of techies to, to to split the film into three planes and do a fake 3D animation after we've shot it normally. And then we have a 2D film we can show in the cheaper cinemas as well. <laughs> and so it it's kind out. of like, uh, what were those things, Viewmaster? Oh, yes. Where, where you yeah. had, which was basically, like most of the ones I saw at least, were the animations were assembled out of multiple layers. Yes. So there would be basically three depth entities within the image. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the effect basically is, um, uh, of crap films <laughs> for the most part it, it it went from in Avatar being 
I don't know if it's an essential part of the film, but it's certainly not a great film without the 3D. It's very impressive with it. Um, to just being a gimmick again, and like most gimmicks, it didn't really survive. A bit I like think the... some of the trick was, with Avatar in particular, uh, Cameron was trying to go for a completely new shooting style, and just as going from black and white to colour meant you people didn't expect this you had to compose a shot differently because of the way people would perceive a thing that it was wasn't just shades of gray it was this color versus that color yes um and similarly he's he's uh, cameron tried to do that with avatar and that's the bit that people didn't copy so what what you got was a conventional yes. film that had been 3dified which is much more of a gimmick than avatar was well exactly whatever else we think about avatar i, I do think it's a technical Masterpiece. We'll find out if that's going to stimulate more because he has just made, I think, possibly the most expensive film ever made or close to it, which is Avatar Watery Bits or something it's called. <laughs> but it's, a, <laughs> it's an underwater one now. Wet Avatar. Um, wet Avatar, that's right. I don't know whether I'll see it or not. I probably not. I should I probably can't. catch up with the original first. Uh, it is James Cameron. I've got a lot of respect for him, but it's been ebbing since Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, at the Academy Awards, uh, big winner is the King's Speech. Oh, yeah. With, uh, four major awards, uh, picked a director, lead actor, and original screenplay. Yeah, is, nice but formulaic, I suppose. Yeah, we, we looked at it and I, I think we thought, yeah, no, no real enthusiasm. Yeah, and I love history and I love that period. But I just, you just, well, I have seen it and what you expect you're gonna get is, is kind of what you get really. Yeah. Uh, Inception also got four. Inception. Uh, they, yeah. they were all technical awards. So it's, it's that, that standard thing at the Academy, you know, um, we, we didn't really understand this, but it must be good. So we're not going to give it the big <laughs> awards with the, uh, the standard reaction to a big science fiction film. Yeah, I prefer, as far as science fiction films go, I prefer his, uh, Christopher Nolan's being the, oh, what's the one with the magicians called? I like that very much. Prestige. Prestige. Yeah, yeah, I like that yeah. a great deal. Yeah. Uh, so, let's see, The Social Network got three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen that as well. Um, it's a whizzy dialogue by the West Wing writer Aaron Sorkin. If if you do not regard all these people as utterly horrible, then maybe it will be of more interest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting the, the, to see the story, but yeah, uh, the fighter picked up uh, both supporting actors, actor and actress, which is quite unusual. Oh, that rings a bell. I never saw that, but I think I wanted to. Uh, see, Alice in Wonderland got two technicals. Uh, Natalie Portman got lead actress of Black Swan. Yeah, that was another. We were wondering about that for this podcast, but. Um... We went in another direction. So and th there is a certain amount of let, let's mess with your mind rather than let's just pl tell a plain simple story, which is encouraging yeah. to see. Yeah. Oh, Toy Story 3 picked up two technicals. Oh, well, we may talk about that at some point. But not yet. <laughs> uh, spoilers, that suggests that we're probably going to do Toy Story 1, 2, 3 and 4 at some point. Um, Marianne had four lines, I think, as her number two film of the year. Oh, really? What was number one? Another Year, which was oh. a fairly small release. Okay. That uh, was the Mike, Mike Lee, um, older married couple, um, people are generally a bit unhappy, but, <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah, well, I wouldn't mind watching another Mike Lee after Vera Drake, but uh, I wasn't mad, mad keen on Vera Drake. I liked it. Hmm. And uh, Box Office, of course... 
It's, there is actually a bit of overlap. Okay. It's not very much. Uh, so number 10, How to Train Your Dragon, which I wasn't terribly interested in, but I'm not the target audience. No, I, I assume that as a child, have you've seen this 11 million times? Yes, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of the ones you're less depressed when it comes on, so... That's uh, always a good sign. Number nine, one that really surprised me very much in a, in a, in a favourable way, Despicable Me. Yes, that again, that is one of the ones that I'm certainly less depressed on when it comes on. And even the Minions films aren't too terrible after that. But yes, I thought Despicable Me 2 completely missed the point of everything that was good about the original, even though it was the same screenwriters, but... That's me. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen Despicable Me too. I've certainly seen the Minion films quite a lot. Anyway. <laughs> uh, number eight, Tangled, which was the Disney Rapunzel thing. Oh, yeah, that's pleasant enough. Yeah, I like that. Number seven, Iron Man 2. It's the only superhero film in the top ten this year. Well, it's the one everyone... Or is that two that everyone hates? Or I think two was, was the one that people said, okay, they couldn't do it twice in a row. And then three, they said, okay, maybe they could. They just didn't get it the second time. Yes, that's right. Yes. I like three a lot. I don't remember much about two at all. <laughs> uh, number six of the Twilight Saga Eclipse. I, I, I'm going to play the, this is the, I am not the target audience card for this. And yeah, I mean. Therefore, it, not be impolite about it. Eventually, you will be, you will be the parent of, of a girl of the right age to be the target audience, but you ain't yet. <laughs> so. I'm not yet, so thankfully, <laughs> haven't watched it. Uh, number five, Shrek Forever After. I, I quite liked the first one, but again, I didn't think it was worth continuing, but, yeah. Yeah, it's the same joke throughout. That, that, I think that one is okay. Well, there's a lot of sequels here, but at least they're... I don't know, they're not all quite as contemptible, horrible sequels as we've mm. had in some others. Uh, number four, Inception. Uh, yes. Number three... Right, uh, Michael Caine in it. Not bad. At three, there's Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1. That That's a wonderful yeah. thing of, let's stretch it, because then we can get twice as much money for, for the last film. Uh, yeah, see, so we started with The Hobbit. What was The Hobbit after this? I'm not sure. The Hobbit is after this, I'm pretty sure. Oh dear. That was the epitome of it for the, me. This is the first one that I remember hearing about it on. It may have happened before with films I didn't hear about. Yeah, I was never much of a Potter head. I was a bit late for I think we talked about that before, but, um. It's. Uh, I feel it's well written, probably. Uh, the. At number two, we've got Alice in Wonderland. This is the Tim Burton one. With Mia Vazikovska. Never seen it. Didn't appeal to me, despite being a Tim Burton fan. I don't. I'm not a fan of surrealism, particularly, mm. and I don't really like the kind of fantasy that Alice in Wonderland is. I oh, mean, we, we've seen Pan's Labyrinth, and for me, it would have a long way to go to match that. And I think so. I yeah. agree. I agree. Uh, and at number one, all right, we are going to talk about this eventually. Toy Story three. Oh, yes. Okay, yes, we are going to talk about this eventually. Which may well be part of it winning two Oscars, to be fair. Well, yeah, I won't spoil it, but it's it's, it's good. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. Well, there we are. Four lines didn't trouble the box office too much, but it did respectably well, I think, for a cheap film. It made... I, I think it also, it also sat around waiting for US distribution for quite a while, so... Uh, yeah, I wonder why... <laughs> Well, there we are. That brings us to the end of our own uh, personal religious uh, mission um, as we close off Four Lions um, and think about our next film for 2010. Those are real bad times, bruv. 
Islam is cracking up. We've got women talking back. We've got people playing stringed instruments. It's the end <laughs> of days. Oh, God, I love it. Um, yeah, see, I love the comedy in it. <laughs> 